0: Hey babes, Nicole here, back with yet another narration. Um, This month's narration is by Caitlin Cooney. On Reddit, she can be found at uh, KM Cooney. And this story is called A Demon Destroyed My Relationship. Uh, So you know the drill. Uh, Grab your drink, um, sit by your fireplace if you should be so lucky, and take a listen. I think it's too late now. He won't answer me. It either means he doesn't love me anymore, or it has already got him. I'm not sure which I would prefer more. The doors are frosted shut, and the power has been off for a few days. The bathtub is hard and cold against my back, but it's the only place I feel safe. I can hear it scratching against the bathroom door, begging to come in, whispering sweet nothings. I feel like gagging. I don't know how much longer I can last. I finished the food days ago and the only water I have left is frozen solid in the sink. My fingertips are bloody and raw from trying to crack it. I know this is it for me. My phone is dead and the computer is the only light I have left. I hear static. So much static. I'm weak. My throat is dry and my head is pounding. I can't see straight. But I need to write this for him. I need to stay sane. Tim, if you can read this. I'm so, so sorry. I love you. Please come back. It's coming for me. It has me all to itself now. We met during my junior year of college. He had bright green eyes, dark hair, and a laugh that set my skin on fire. Our first date began with grabbing a cup of coffee and ended with us tangled up in my sheets in the middle of a snowstorm. We were together for 18 hours straight, finishing an entire bottle of wine and too many Netflix movies to count. By morning, we were hooked on each other. We fit together so easily, it was almost as if we had met before. It was so seamless, so very simple, that it made my heart sting. For a few years, I was happy. Like blissful, romantic comedy-kick-you-in-the-nuts kind of happy. We took long hikes, drinking wine from plastic cups and eating fried chicken and macaroni and cheese on top of waterfalls. We curled into each other each night, letting our breaths match in rhythm, our fingers melt into one another. We made blanket forts and snowmen. We made love in a movie theater bathroom, on top of a table, and on the cold, packed floor of a tent. We were so in love it made me sick. So when we decided to move in together, we couldn't have been more disgustingly happy. I think that's why it picked us. We moved to Boston after we graduated from college. I had gotten a job at a PR agency and he started working at the local children's hospital. We signed a lease in a flurry of excitement, barely having time to ask any questions about the one-bedroom apartment we had just rented. We knew that the building was old. Very old. I think the realtor told us that it had been made in the early 1900s. and God, it was gorgeous. The place had a massive bay window that overlooked a small community park with a fountain. If you leave the windows open, you could even hear it splashing during the summer. We had hardwood floors in every room that the realtor had sworn up and down were the originals. Not that it really mattered to us. We even had a stained glass window that separated the bedroom from the rest of the apartment. But the best part of the place? That had to be the clawfoot tub. It was massive. It took up almost the entire bathroom, and according to the realtor, it was just as old as the floors. So for two recent graduates, we were in heaven. The price was perfect, too. We probably should have asked why, but we were young, stupid, and in love. For those of you that have actually been young, stupid, and in love, then you know how disastrous of a combination that can be. The first thing we moved in was a blue vase that I had bought at a yard sale down the street. It was $5 and cracked in more than one place, but I thought it was pretty. It had character, as the salesman described it. Tim laughed as I placed it on our counter shifting it until it hit the light just right. That thing will fall to pieces the second you put any real flowers in it. Yeah, well, I like it. You're the boss. He grabbed me around the waist and kissed the top of my head. Let's grab some food before we finish unpacking. I'm starving. So we locked up and headed down to check out our new neighborhood. It was a cute little area with plenty of shops, bars, and restaurants. Plus, it was right near Fenway Park, which added a nice touch of Boston charm. We grabbed pizza at a local spot and hit back a few beers, marveling at how lucky we were. After about an hour of exploring and eating, we came back to the place full, tired, and a bit buzzed. Now, the place was pretty empty still. We had most of our boxes alongside of the wall, so there really wasn't much clutter or anything else on the counters. So when we unlocked the door, it was pretty obvious to see that the vase was gone. It stood out like a gap tooth. What the hell?! I ran over to the counter, dead sure I had just placed the thing there like an hour ago. I was sure of it. Uh, maybe it fell over, Tim suggested, peeking between boxes. I fluttered around, checking around corners and under chairs to see if it had fallen, but I couldn't find anything. Not even a shard of glass to suggest that it had even shattered. We split up and checked our items, but nothing else appeared to be missing. Just that vase. We were confused, but we chalked it up to move-in stress people lose things all the time. We weren't immune, and moving into a new place always resulted in some things disappearing. The vase was probably just the first casualty. It wasn't until a few days later that the vase turned up in a sealed box that had all of our winter clothes. We were unpacking, and all of a sudden there it was, bundled in our scarves and jackets. Okay, very funny. You got me, I said as I untangled the vase from its many layers. Hmm? Tim asked, his back to me. Just take credit for your joke already. What are you talking about? He turned to face me, his eyebrows knitted together in concern. I know you hid this in one of our boxes. Very funny. I tossed him the vase and he caught it with one hand, cursing as he slammed it back on the counter. I could see his hand was now shining bright red, a cut forming along his palm. What the hell, Kate? He grabbed paper towels and started to dab at his fresh wound. I rushed over and put my hands on his, holding pressure. Sorry, sorry. I didn't know it would cut you. Yeah, well, just think next time before you throw glass at me. It was an accident. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I didn't hide the damn thing anyway. I stepped back from him to meet his gaze. Come on, it's fine. You got me. Solid prank. You don't need to keep it up. What are you getting at here? I didn't hide it. He turned away from me and walked into the bathroom, slamming the door behind him. The vase glared at me from the counter, streaked with blood. Iron hung in the air. A few nights later was when I first heard the music. Tim had just started his night shift rotation at the hospital, so I was alone for the first time in our new apartment. I had spent the night putting the final touches on the apartment, cleaning and washing dishes. I went to bed around 11 p.m. By 3 a.m. I woke up in a cold sweat. At first I didn't know what woke me. I'm usually a pretty deep sleeper. Tim usually joked that I could sleep through the apocalypse and not know it was happening. So I lay there for a few minutes, trying to fall back asleep, and then I heard it again. It was jazz music. Like, old-timey 1920s jazz music. Something you would expect to hear in a jazz club, not in a Boston apartment at three in the morning. For a second I thought that maybe I had left the TV on or my laptop up and running or something. I got out of bed and opened the bedroom door. The music sounded like it was coming from down the hall. I hugged myself, suddenly cold. Even though it was June, I could see my breath. There was a heaviness that hung in the air. It was like a pressure forcing down on me, popping my ears and squeezing my lungs. I found it inexplicably hard to breathe. I had turned off all the lights before I went to bed, so it was pretty dark, but I could see that there was a tiny sliver of light coming from the bathroom. But want to know something really weird? Earlier that morning, the light bulb had shattered in the socket. We didn't exactly pack a spare, so Tim had said he would just pick one up in the morning on his way home from work. So by this point, I was pretty freaked. I mean, there was no reason that room should be lit, right? But the music was growing louder, throbbing against my skull. I continued to the door. I pushed it open with the tips of my fingers, half expecting to see some crazy murder in there. Instead, I saw nothing. Absolutely nothing. Whatever light had been shining was suddenly off, leaving me gaping blankly in a dark room. The music had disappeared, too. I double-checked the light switch just in case, but the bulb was definitely broken. Everything was dark. I edged my way further into the bathroom. It was weird, but I could have sworn I had seen something in the tub in that brief moment of light. It was like some sort of shadow, but darker. Much darker. It had looked like a shadow of a person had been hunched over in the tub taking a bath. But it was as if the person was much larger. Their knees had been curled up to their chin, struggling to fit. I guess it had been my imagination. I ran my hands over the edge of the claw-foot tub and shivered. It was empty, cold, and a bit damp. The only thing that seemed a bit out of place was this dark liquid that had congealed around the drain. I made a mental note to call the landlord to get it fixed in the morning and shut the door, heading back to bed. "'You heard what?' Tim asked between taking bites of cereal. He had just gotten back from his first night shift, so he was leaning bleary eyed against the kitchen counter, bending his head low over the first meal he had in twelve hours. Jazz music, I explained again, crossing my arms across my chest. I had already gone over the story about three times. I mean, it's probably just the neighbors upstairs. But why did I only hear it in the bathroom? I don't know, he yawned, putting his empty dish in the sink. Maybe they were playing on their toilet. I scowled. Right. Just go up and say something next time, he shrugged. Tim walked past me, kissing my forehead on the way to the bedroom. Come to bed, he added. I nodded and followed him, suddenly realizing how little sleep I had gotten the night before. The next time I heard the music, I was alone again. Tim was off on another night shift, and I woke up annoyed, angry, and tired as hell. This time it was 3.02 a.m., Grumbling to myself, I slid the covers off, grabbed my shoes, and padded up to the fourth and final floor of our apartment complex to greet the noisy neighbors. I knocked once, twice, and then kicked the door, letting out a string of curses. As soon as my foot collided with the door, it cracked open. Apparently, it had been unlocked and unoccupied. I was greeted with an empty, dark apartment that looked strikingly identical to our own. The place was bathed in moonlight from the blank windows. It reflected off of the hardwood floors and provided enough light for me to make my way to the bathroom. It had to be directly above ours. As soon as I opened the door, I was met with silence. Literally nothing. No jazz, no crackpot neighbor, nothing. I even bent my ear to the floor to see if I could hear anything but was met with stony, mute tile. I tore back down to our apartment to check if I could still hear the music. And lo and behold, as soon as I opened my apartment door, the jazz music hit me in the face. It almost seemed louder, like it was mocking me. So at this point, I knew it had to be coming from the downstairs neighbors. I mean, where else would it have been coming from? Gathering up my courage, I hurled myself down to the second floor and knocked on the door directly below ours. This time, I was greeted by a very irate neighbor instead of an empty apartment. His apartment was dimly lit and silent. I had evidently just woken him up. I looked down at my feet and apologized for bothering the obviously innocent elderly man. I stammered that I must be imagining the music and turned to leave when all of a sudden his arm shot out of the apartment and grabbed my wrist. I gasped and tried to yank my wrist loose, but his grip was sure and strong. You're in the apartment above me, right? I nodded, still yanking at my wrist. You need to move out of that apartment. You need to move out right now. Pack your bags and get the hell out of here. His lips pressed in a firm, tight line. What are you talking about? I succeeded in pulling my wrist away and backed up a few steps, keeping him in my line of vision. The old man looked suddenly embarrassed. I'm... I'm sorry. I just... You need to leave. Oh, trust me! I turned. I'm staying the hell away from you! I ran back up the stairs and slammed my door, locking it and collapsing against it. I started to cry, letting the stress finally settle over me as I analyzed my wrist. It wasn't broken, but it was bruised. I couldn't help myself from shaking. I crawled back into bed and fell asleep, struggling to ignore the jazz music that was still echoing throughout the apartment. Nothing really happened for a few weeks after that. The jazz music appeared every now and then, but I bought a white noise machine to balance it out. We had a few things go missing, jewelry, articles of clothing, etc., but they mostly popped up later. At least my stuff did. Tim was pretty pissed when he couldn't find his favorite sweater. He blamed me, since I did the laundry and we had a pretty big fight about it. And sometimes we would hear whispering out in the hallway, but we easily chalked that up to our next-door neighbors. I mean, it was all small things. Things that could be easily explained. So for the most part, things were pretty normal. I told Tim about the creepy old man, and he told me I shouldn't have bothered the neighbor at 3 a.m. I gave him the cold shoulder for a few days until I forgot what we had been fighting over. Life moved on. I settled into my job and Tim got assigned more night shifts. We spent a lot of our free time just wandering the city, getting to know different bars, and trying to meet friends. As an adult, it's a hell of a lot harder than you would think to make friends out in the real world. Most days, we would just end up back at our place, binging Netflix and drinking wine from the bottle. After spending so much time with only each other, we had begun to grow restless. It was after one particularly sour summer afternoon that we cracked. We had the fans on full blast in the living room and we were both lying on our backs in front of one. My t-shirt had grown sticky with sweat and I felt as if I was glued to the floor. I felt lazy and heavy. Hey, Tim groaned. I opened an eye to look at him. What? Do you hear that? I sat up, giving myself a head rush. Hear what? The door, he mumbled. Someone just knocked. Then go answer it if you heard it. You do it. He was beginning to irritate me but he had lay back down and made it pretty obvious that he wasn't going to move anytime soon, so I bit the bullet and sidestepped him to answer the door. No one was there. I was about to yell back at Tim for making me move, but then I saw flowers just to the right of the door. I smiled as I picked up the vase full of black roses. As I looked closer, I realized that they weren't black at all, but a very deep shade of red. i had never seen anything like them before. I felt light all of a sudden. Giddy. I turned back into the apartment and kissed Tim full and hard, leaving the flowers outside the door. He murmured sleepily, ''What was that for?'' ''The roses,'' I smiled, he suddenly seemed alert, almost alarmed. ''What? I, I didn't give you any.'' I cocked my head. ''Yeah, you did. They were just outside the door.'' Tim pounded past me and wrenched open the door to find the roses peeking up at him. He grabbed them and hunted around for a note, finding one in the thorns. He read it quickly, his lips thinning. "'What?' I walked closer. "'What does it say?' Tim didn't answer. He just thrust the note in my direction, averting his eyes. "'I'll have you soon, my love. Who gave this to you?' His voice was flat. I shook my head. "'It must be a mistake. I mean, I I don't even know anyone here.' Which was true. The only people I had really met were co-workers, and they were either one old or two women." Not exactly the type of people to be pining after me. Well, someone knows you. He put the flowers back on the floor outside almost as if he was afraid to touch them. Baby, I whispered as if trying to soothe an animal. I swear the delivery guy must have had the wrong address or something. I mean, I really have no idea who could have sent these. He nodded as I stroked his arm. You just sound pretty defensive, is all, he spat, ripping his arm away to close the door. I literally just stood and stared at him, my mouth actually gaping. I didn't even do anything. Well, obviously you fucking did. He was fuming. His fists clenched at his sides. He had never really been that jealous of a boyfriend before. I mean, he didn't really like me having guy friends, but it was never like this. This was... This wasn't him. I don't have any friends here. Neither do you. Who could have sent these to me? "'Well, it's not my fault you don't know anyone here. "'Well, you make it pretty hard to meet people "'when you're sulking all the goddamn time.' "'Sulking? Really?' he laughed. "'It's better than flirting with every guy you see.' "'Me? I'm the one who's flirting, right?' "'Hot bile rose to my throat. "'What about the underwear I found in the hamper that wasn't mine, huh? "'Where did they come from?' "'I had found a pair a week ago. "'They were pink, girly, and absolutely not mine.' When I confronted him, Tim said that they probably came from the shared dryer unit we have in the basement. I believed him until the second pair cropped up two days ago. Wow. Tim rolled his eyes. We're really going into this again? I told you that it was from the dryer. Twice? I hissed. His eyes flashed darkly. Well, if I cheated on you, would you really blame me? I took a step back, tears welling in my eyes. Tim... It was more pleading than anything else. I'm sorry, he breathed, his hands now falling flat. I'm just tired and hot and we've been cooped up here for God knows how long. He ran his hands through his hair, leaving it spiky and messy. You're right, the flowers were probably a mistake. I know you didn't. I know you didn't ask for this. He grabbed his keys off the wall. I just need a minute to myself. Hey! I yelled after him, but he had thrust open the door and was already rounding the corner, taking the stairs two at a time. I felt sick, disgusted, and for some reason dirty. I glanced back at the flowers. They were pretty. I could count about a dozen. I glanced at the note and noticed that there wasn't a name or address on it. It was a pale, white note with black, cursive handwriting. I couldn't even see a shop name or phone number. So I brought the flowers into the apartment and put them in the bedroom. If I couldn't find the owner, then it would be nice for someone to enjoy them, right? Now that that was settled, the anger was back. Tim didn't have a right to yell at me. But then again, it was probably the heat getting to him. And it didn't help that we spent almost every second of the last month with each other. I guess I would get cranky too if I had thought some other girl was trying to court him or something. But no. No, I wouldn't act like that. That just wasn't... It wasn't him. I shook my head, almost trying to shake out those thoughts. I resigned myself to just ignore it. It was too hot to think straight anyway. Instead of plopping back in front of the fan, I ran a cold bath in the clawfoot tub. I haven't really had a chance to take a bath yet, and I thought the cool water would be good for me, or at least help relax me a bit. I also poured myself a nice heaping glass of red wine to calm myself down. When we told our friends that we were planning on moving in together, they warned us about the first year. They told us it was going to be hard, that we would fight more and get on each other's nerves. We laughed them off and said we could handle it. We thought we could handle anything, but now I'm not so sure. Things have been so tense between us. We don't normally fight like that. We barely even fought at all. I took a large gulp of wine and stepped into the bath. I didn't want to think about our relationship. Not right now, anyway. I ran my hands through the cold water, spreading my fingers wide. I rested them on the top of the water, letting them float as I closed my eyes, but my right hand suddenly felt too heavy. It sunk beneath the surface, making a light ding on the bathtub floor. I took it out and inspected it. Funny, I had nearly forgotten the promise ring on my right ring finger. Tim had given it to me for our first Christmas together. It was bronze with a beautiful black and gray filling, handmade somewhere in the Midwest. It had been snowing outside. The firelight had bounced off the ring, making it shine. When he gave it to me, he was physically shaking from nerves, unwilling to meet my eye line. He had told me that he loved me, that he couldn't wait to move in with me. His words had come out in a rush of heated emotion. At the time, I found it adorable. Now I found it cowardly. Feeling almost resentful, I seized the ring from my finger and put it on the windowsill next to the tub. There, I thought. That'll show him. It was the first time I had taken the ring off since he gave it to me. Maybe it was the wine or the cold water, but I instantly felt better. I closed my eyes and sank deeper into the tub, letting my neck rest against the damp porcelain. After a few more sips of wine, I felt my eyes growing heavier. I felt so relaxed. I felt myself nodding off to the sound of jazz music. I smiled. Usually, I only heard it at night. It sounded almost peaceful now, complimenting the pretty blue sky outside. I finished the glass of wine and let it drop below the surface of the water, clinking lightly on the bottom of the tub. My love. I heard the whisper in my ear, static and angry. I woke up with a start, splashing the water around my ankles. I felt dazed and hungover. I looked up at the window and noticed that it was now dark out. I had no idea how long I had been in the tub. I felt feverish and weak. I clambered up out of the tub and wrapped a towel around me, hugging it tight to my chest. Thinking that I should probably check what time it was, I opened the bathroom door to grab my phone and screamed. In the doorway was the shadow I had seen earlier—at least, I think it was a shadow. It was dark, large, and looming over me. It was in the shape of a man and was darker than any shadow I've ever seen. Its long, thin fingers rested on the doorway, its head bowing under the doorframe. For a second I could have sworn I saw it smile. I hastily turned on the light switch and blinked back tears. The shadow was gone. I tried to steady my breathing as I rubbed my eyes. It was just a trick of the light, or the wine, or or anything else. I didn't see anything, I kept telling myself. And then, at the same time, two different things happened. One, Tim walked through the door. Two, the wine bottles on the bar shattered, spilling red wine and glass across the floor. It looked like blood. What the hell? Tim screamed as he rushed over to me. My nerves were shot. I started crying, blubbering on, while Tim picked me up and carried me over to the sofa, away from the broken glass and pooling wine. He stroked my hair as I cried into his shoulder. I don't think he could understand even one word of what I was saying, so instead he soothed me and wrapped a blanket around my shoulders. He then went back into the hallway and cleaned the spilled wine and broken glass. In all, four bottles had burst, not including the wine glass that had shattered in the bathtub when I had fallen asleep. I hadn't even noticed the deep, ragged cuts the shards left on my thigh at first. I pressed the towel into them, soaking up the blood. For a second, I could have sworn the cut spelled out two slashed words. S. Muse. By the time Tim had finished cleaning, I was numb. I wasn't even shivering anymore. I told him that the wine bottles had just shattered when I left the bathroom. I told him that I had probably slammed the door too hard. I left out the rest. I knew he wouldn't listen to me anyway. As Tim pulled the glass shards out of the bathtub, the cuts began to burn red and hot, searing into my skin. The blood dried, the skin healed. S. Muse stared back at me, hot and thick on my thigh. I closed my eyes and lay down, feeling almost giddy. I couldn't stop laughing. I noticed that the card from the flowers was clenched in my hand. Funny, I hadn't remembered grabbing it. It was wet and the letters were beginning to run, dripping dark ink across my wrist. The darkness washed over me and my ears filled with static. I could barely hear Tim yelling at me anymore. Shh, my darling. Quiet now. The darkness is seeping under the doorway now. Thick, black liquid. It's making its way closer to the tub. I can't help but to watch it from the corner of my eye as I type this. It's so slow. So silent. I think it wants to take its time with me torture me. After all, it has me all to itself now. Tim isn't coming. He's pretending to watch TV, but I know he's watching me, checking up on me. I keep catching him as he makes furtive glances my way into the kitchen. By the fifth time I catch him, I put down the knife I'm using to chop vegetables and put my hands on my hips. What is it already? I yell into the living room. Tim sighs and gets up from the couch, placing the TV on mute. He runs his hands through his hair and shuffles his feet. Whatever it is, he's nervous to say it. I don't offer him any pity. I hold his gaze until he speaks. I'm just... I... I'm just really worried about you. He stammers. The shadow sits on the counter, drumming its fingers against the cabinets. It looks back towards Tim. I roll my eyes and go back to chopping carrots. "'You should be more worried about yourself,' I snicker back. "'All you do is sit on your ass now and play video games.' "'I flinch when I hear myself say those words. "'They don't sound like me at all.' "'Tim comes around to the kitchen, hugging me from behind. "'He burrows his head into my neck. "'For a second, I still. "'The knife falls out of my hand and clatters to the floor. "'We haven't been this intimate in a while, "'ever since the wine bottles shattered. "'Since then, we have skirted around each other.' We kept to our own sides on the couch, barely touching and only making polite small talk. We don't even sleep in the same bed anymore. Not really. With him on permanent night shifts, his sleep schedule is so messed up that he sleeps all through the day and is up all night. So now I always sleep alone, huddled into the corner of the bed with a pillow over my ears to muffle the jazz music that he swears he can't hear. Now that I think about it, in the past few months we have hardly seen each other at all. I'll see him in the morning when he gets home from work, and then I'll have to hustle out the door to my job. And then, when I get home, I see him for about ten minutes before he leaves for work. I'm usually always alone in the apartment. He kisses my neck gently and pulls me around to face him. His eyes are red and watery. When he speaks, his voice is hoarse. I miss you, Kate. I take a step back, words caught in my throat. I miss you, too. I, uh, I know things have been difficult, The shadow slinks away from us. This whole summer has been... He paused, wiping his eyes on the back of his sleeve. Tim wasn't really one to speak his mind. He usually held things in until they built up, bursting over. I grabbed his hand and pulled him closer to me, resting my head on his chest. I know, baby, I know. I soothed. He suddenly straightened against me, pushing me at arm's length. Let's go away. For Labor Day. What? He smiled. Let's go. Go on a vacation. Let's get away from all of this. Let's just be with each other again. I smiled, forgetting the broth now boiling on the stove. Can you... Can you even do that with work? His schedule was strict, and he typically worked every other weekend, and when he wasn't scheduled to work, he was usually called in anyway. Tim let out a short laugh and went over to the calendar over the sink. Yeah. Yeah, I can make it work. He turned back to me and kissed me again. Let's go away, baby. I started laughing too. Yes, yes, let's do it. He grabbed me by the waist and lifted me into the air and I couldn't help but laugh. As he let me down, his hand brushed my thigh, bumping against the scar. I involuntarily jerked away. I had kept it hidden from him since the accident. I didn't want him to worry and, honestly, I was really just trying to ignore it. I know how that sounds, but every time I tried to think about it, I just felt foggy and tired. It was better to just pretend it didn't happen. Let's go to Martha's Vineyard, he exclaimed. I was snapped out of my thoughts. That's a great idea, I agreed. We made the reservations for Labor Day weekend and spent the rest of the night planning what we would do on the island. I had felt so good that night that I didn't even notice that the jazz music was louder than usual, or the dark black liquid that stained the bed sheets dripping to the floor. The sand felt warm against my back. Even though the summer was offering its dying breaths and fall was hovering over us, the sun still felt so good on my skin. I rolled over to face Tim, reaching for his hand. He smiled and turned on his side to face me. This was a really good idea, I murmured. He smiled and squeezed my hand. I've missed us. I've missed us too. Do you... do you feel any better? He sounded worried again, nervous. His fingers twitched in mine. I paused. To be honest, I felt a lot better. I felt light, free, and my head was clear for the first time since we moved to Boston. We've only been here for three days, but I felt more like myself than I had in months. There was just one thing that had been bugging me. Can I tell you something? I sat up, crossing my legs. Of course. I bit my lip. It was stupid. Silly. I mean, all that had happened in the apartment was probably just in my imagination, right? But I couldn't shake the feeling I had in my gut, so I spilled everything to him. The weird shadow I kept seeing, the music I heard almost nightly, how the scar healed almost instantly. Everything. Tim listened to it all, occasionally asking questions and interjecting here and there. By the time I was done, he was sitting upright too, his lips in a tight, firm line. Okay, he began. I mean, the shadow thing could have been a trick of the light. You're right, but the scar... I want to see it. You can't really see it out here in the light, but, um... And I reached down and pulled back my shorts so you could see it. It was faint, but still noticeable. I think it says muse or something. I don't know. That could just be my imagination. I let the sentence drop off as Tim looked more closely at my leg. His face turned white. No, um, I can see it too. His voice was hardly above a whisper. He grabbed my chin and forced me to meet his gaze. Kate, I need you to swear to me that you didn't do this to yourself. What? No, I wouldn't ever do that. I hissed, my voice rising. I slapped his hand away, moving farther away from him in the sand. I swear I didn't. If you did something to yourself, there are ways we can get you help. Tim, please believe me. He paused for a while. I do, he said. I could usually tell when he was lying, but this time I couldn't. His face was stoic, unreadable. I, uh... I took Latin in college, he croaked. Es Muse. that, uh... That means, you're mine, or like, mine, or something like that. I took a breath. This was getting creepier by the second. Do you believe what I said about the other stuff, though? I'm not sure. I mean, I don't really believe in stuff like that, but if you're saying it happened... It happened. Okay. He stood up and reached his hand down to me to help me up. Then I guess we're going ghost hunting. I have to give Tim credit. If I was in his position, I'm not sure that I would have believed me. But he was at least humoring me. As soon as we were back to the Airbnb we had rented, we broke out our laptops and began researching our apartment building. We were right, it was old. The complex was built in 1912 and has passed through several owners since then all private citizens, no large management firms. Because of its location, the building was worth over at least $2.3 million. Which wouldn't explain why our rent was so low. Actually, our rent was much lower than all the other apartments in the same complex. You see, Boston rent is pretty damn expensive. One-bedroom apartments in the city typically run for over $2,500 a month easily. Ours was just $1,200. All of the other apartments in our building were priced at about 2325 according to the Trulia and Zillow rental apps. When we signed the lease, we hadn't known the typical renting prices because we had just moved here. And of course, we had the horrible misfortune of being young, stupid, and in love. Besides the price discrepancies, there wasn't a whole lot else we could find. A few Yelp comments and reviews said the apartment complex as a whole was pretty quiet and always well-maintained. No complaints ever listed any weird things that had happened in our apartment. There was one comment, though, that stood out as a bit strange. It was posted on the current landowner's Yelp page by Sarah M. almost three years ago. I just moved in about a week ago. I love the place, but you can really hear the neighbors play their jazz music loudly. You should have some noise restrictions as part of the lease contract. Her profile was since deactivated, and she didn't even have a profile picture or anything else to identify her by. Okay, well... "'It's not like we even know she lived in the same exact apartment before us,' Tim reasoned after I showed him the post. "'I think she did, though,' I countered. "'Remember how we kept getting some mail meant for the previous occupant?' "'Yeah, but I thought that was for, like, uh, Sam or Susan or something like that.' I shrugged. "'Once we get back home, we can check it out. I'm sure we'll get something else meant for her.' Tim agreed, and we tabled the discussion for the rest of the vacation. We spent our last few days on the island like any normal couple would.' We toured some breweries, swam in the ocean, kayaked, explored, and even, uh, bonded. We were honestly back to our old selves. It was as if we had never even moved to Boston to begin with. Things were easy again, and I felt lighter than I had in a long, long time. By the time we were meant to leave, I was feeling suddenly nervous. I picked at the phrase on my suitcase, watching as our ferry began to board. Hey, Tim glanced down at me. You okay? I shrugged. I just have a weird feeling about going home. Tim took my hand and gave it a squeeze, pulling me along into the ferry line. Everything will be fine, he murmured. It wasn't fine. Actually, it was about to get a whole lot worse. We arrived back at the apartment a few hours later, windswept, sunburnt, and tired. Our building is like any normal apartment complex. The front door is typically unlocked and it leads to a mini atrium where you can buzz up to an apartment. You need a special key to get through this door so only residents can actually get in without being buzzed up. Each apartment itself has a separate key to unlock the actual door. So things were pretty safe, typically. When we moved into the building, the realtor told us that there hasn't been a break-in or robbery in at least 10 years. Well, until now, at least. As soon as we got up to our floor, we could tell something was off. For one, the entire floor smelled metallic. And two, our apartment door was wide open, the welcome mat crumpled in a heap. We immediately dropped our suitcases and ran inside the apartment, pushing past each other to see the damage. And there was quite a lot of it. Our books had been thrown off of their shelves, torn and shredded. Their pages lay like bird nests all over the floor. Inside each nest was a different picture frame of us that had been torn off of the walls. Tim's face had been scratched out of each one with black sharpie and then placed back in the glass. Even then, with fear clouding my mind, I found it odd that a robber would take the time to do that. The mattress had been ripped open with a knife, still sticking out of a pillow. Our pots and pans, silverware, and other cooking equipment were strewn all over the kitchen, bits and pieces melting into each other. My underwear drawer had been rifled through, panties lay in crumpled heaps on the dresser. Our couch was flipped, our end tables scratched and our carpets torn, glass shards littered the floor. Tim immediately grabbed his phone and called the police, backing away from the apartment. I moved closer inside, tiptoeing around the damage. Yes, yes, this is an emergency, Tim's voice echoed in the background. There's been a break-in. 899 Beacon Street. I smiled, cocking my head as I noticed the thick black liquid dotting the hardwood floors. It led like a trail to the bathroom. My head suddenly felt foggy again. I kicked off my shoes and followed its trail, careful to avoid the glass. Please hurry! The liquid became darker when I opened the door to the untouched bathroom. Whoever had been here had left this room completely free of any damage. There was just a thin line of liquid stretching across the tile. Apartment 13. I moved deeper into the bathroom, tracing the top of the clawfoot tub with my fingers. The dark liquid was here too, almost overflowing the tub. It was dark, silent, and pulsating. It looked almost as if it had a heartbeat of its own. I closed my eyes. No, I'm not joking. We live in apartment 13. Yes, eight nine nine Street you need to come now. I started to unbutton my shirt slowly, letting the fogginess take over, the shirt fall to the floor. I then unbuttoned my jeans, stepping out of them. I kicked them to the corner of the room. I felt so light, so free. No, it doesn't look like anything's been stolen. Yes, yes, of course, we will wait outside. I unclasped my bra and slipped out of my underwear. Coldness washed over me. I breathed deeper. A warm bath might help, and the dark liquid looked so inviting. So very warm. No, no, we won't touch anything. I edged my way closer to the tub, letting the sound of static and jazz music fill my eardrums. You shouldn't have left, you shouldn't have left, don't leave me. The black liquid starting to pulsate quicker, I could see my reflection on its surface. My eyes looked wild and dark, my scar burned. Something in my head told me that the liquid would help. Of course it would help. Caitlin, Tim screamed. I felt an abrupt yank on my arm, almost ripping it out of its socket. Tim had grabbed me just before I could step into the tub. His grip was hard. His eyes flashed black. What the fuck are you doing? The fogginess was gone. I looked back to the tub to see that the liquid had stilled, my reflection now murky. I suddenly became aware that I was completely naked. "'Seriously, what do you think you're doing?' His grip became tighter, bruising my skin. I reflexively let out a yelp, struggling to pull my arm away. Tears sprung to my eyes. I... I don't know. I could hear sirens barreling down the street from outside. I thought a bath would help. "'You thought a bath would help?' Swiftly, Tim grabbed my other arm and dragged me to face the mirror. "'Look at yourself!' Tim screamed. My reflection showed a shaking, bruised girl. Tim stood behind me, grasping my arms tightly between his hands. I whimpered, crying and struggling to get away from him, but he wouldn't let me go. He grabbed my chin and forced me to look at my reflection. His face was a dark shadow. I don't even recognize you anymore. He spat in my ear. His breath was hot and black. Static danced along the edges of his words. The sirens shrieked louder. He shoved me away from him and I hit the edge of the sink, my body folding in two. My head cracked on the tile and I tasted metal in my mouth. Tim snickered, his face clouding over. It was so dark I couldn't see his eyes. He told me to get dressed and he slammed the door, waiting outside for the police. The shadow was sitting on the edge of the tub. It gently picked up my clothes, handing them to me. I blinked. Maybe I had hit my head harder than I thought. I couldn't stop shaking as I struggled to button the shirt correctly. I pulled the sleeves down to cover the dark, deep bruises that were already forming along my arm. Tim had never grabbed me like that before. Even when we had our worst fights, he never laid a hand on me. I used to joke with him that he was a big teddy bear, that he couldn't even hurt a fly. "'They're here,' Tim said, opening the door a crack. I nearly jumped out of my skin at the sight of him. He must have seen my scared expression because he suddenly softened. "'Don't worry,' he asserted. We will find whoever did this to our home. He reached his hand out to me and I took it, still shaking. The shadow retreated into the tub, the dark liquid reaching up to swallow it whole. The police were never able to find out who broke in and destroyed our apartment. They interviewed each one of our neighbors and no one had seen or heard of anything amiss. They all swore up and down that they hadn't let anyone in who had buzzed up. And even if they had, our door had been locked. There had been no sign of forced entry and nothing had been stolen. The police were completely baffled. So instead we had to clean up the apartment, throw away most of our items, and collect the renter's insurance we had taken out. It was barely enough to cover replacing the bed, let alone anything else. So I would spend my free time away from Tim buying new decorations for the place out of my pocket. I kept trying to ignore what had happened. And apparently so did he. He didn't even act like anything was wrong. I would come home from work and he wouldn't even turn his head away from the video game he was playing. He would just smile and say, "'Welcome home, honey,' while I unpacked whatever I had bought. It was a stiff, anxious truce, and for some reason I was desperate to keep it, so desperate that I began to hide the gifts that would show up. When the first bruise was beginning to disappear, I was sent another bouquet of flowers. They were dark red just like the last. The note read, "'Sorry, sorry, sorry,' in black cursive. I tore up the note and threw out the flowers, never even bothering to tell Tim. The second gift was a few weeks later. It was a small, delicate glass figurine. I found it in my underwear drawer wrapped in red tissue paper. At first I thought it was from Tim, but then I saw that familiar white note with black writing. Soon, soon, soon it read, the writing becoming smaller and smaller, jumping off the page. I unwrapped the tissue paper to find a small glass blue bird. It was beautiful. Despite my better judgment, I placed it on my dresser. I told Tim I had bought it myself. The third gift appeared at night. It was one of those rare nights where Tim actually had off work. By this point, fall had arrived. It was late October and the leaves were crisp and yellow. We tested our shaky truce by going out to dinner in the city. It was one of the first times that we had actually been alone together without distraction since Labor Day. We were awkward with each other. We bumped into one another while walking, found ourselves trying to come up with conversation and then falling silent. We even resorted to talking about the weather. The weather. We'd been dating for two years and the weather was the only thing we could think to talk about. It was as if we were on a very bad, very awkward first date. So we did what any couple would do trapped in an awkward situation. We drank. It was after the second bottle of wine had been delivered to our table that I grabbed his hand, curling it into my own. I used to think that our hands fit into each other's perfectly, but at that restaurant holding his hand, I felt as if I didn't even recognize it. Tim caught me glancing at his hand and pulled it away from me. What happened to us? He asked. His voice was flat, hollow. Our friends told us the first year would be hard, I mumbled. Yeah, but this... Tim ran his hands through his hair, averting my gaze. This is different. Yeah, I guess it is. We were silent for a minute. When was the last time we were out together like this? He asked. I laughed bitterly. The summer, actually. We haven't been on a date since the summer. He frowned. Wow, I guess it really has been that long. The waiter came and cleared our plates. We couldn't meet each other's eyes from across the table. I want to move, I blurted out, my cheeks flaring red. Tim was taken aback. What? Like, move out of the city? Yes, or, well, no, I stammered. Just anywhere else. I don't care where we go. I just need to get out of that apartment. Kate, Tim hesitated. I don't think the apartment is the problem. So? Who cares? My voice rose. Let's just move. Our lease is almost up. I I need a new start. He was silent for a bit. A new start? I want a new start for us. Tim nodded. Okay, okay. We will find a different apartment. I didn't realize that I had been holding my breath until my chest lightened. I felt like I had been suffocating. I started to laugh right there in the restaurant. Tim tried to shush me, but then he ended up in a fit of giggles too. We were still laughing when we paid for the check and walked home. My scar burned against the autumn chill, but Tim's hand was warm in mine and I didn't seem to mind it that much. By the time we got to our apartment, we were all hands and mouths, laughing as we put the key into the atrium door. Will you stay in bed with me tonight? I asked. Sure, he would say no, say he wasn't tired yet, but he grinned instead. Of course. Let's just grab the mail first. He pulled out a small bundle of letters from our mailbox and handed them to me as he locked the mailbox back up. We started to walk up the stairs to our apartment. I browsed through the bundle. Junk mail, bill, bill, college donation request, typical. Bill, auto bill. Wait, auto bill? We didn't have a car. We had no need in the city. I flipped it over to see the address and the name stuck out to me. Sarah Martin. Sarah M. The girl who wrote the review. I knew she had lived here. Tim unlocked the door and we stepped inside the apartment. I grabbed the letter and thrust it in Tim's face as he shook off his coat. Hey, see? I was right. That Sarah M. girl from Yelp totally lived here. Tim's smile faltered. I was too excited to notice. He closed the door behind me, locking it. I bet if we go to the landlord and ask for her new address, we can find out more. Tim grabbed the letter from my hand and tore it into pieces. Enough! He bellowed. I stared, gaping at him. I'm so sick of your shit. There are no ghosts in the apartment. It's just fucking you. You are the one making this place miserable. I reached out to him, but he pulled his arm away. I'm done, Kate. I'm moving home. You are home. My voice was raw. No. No, I'm not. You've made this hell, not home. Where is this coming from? He actually laughed at that one. Where is this coming from? Are you kidding me, Kate? His eyes were wild, his face dark. I can't stand to be with you anymore. This is complete agony. I stood still, holding my breath. But just an hour ago, you said we would find a new place together. Are you... are you breaking up with me? Tim laughed again, kicking the coat he had discarded on the floor. His eyes were wild and black. Yeah, yeah, I am. And I should have done it a lot sooner. I know things have been hard, but I need to go home. I fucking hate it here. Then we can move. I'll go back to Charlotte with you. I knew I sounded desperate, childish, but for a wild moment, I was petrified of being left alone. He was silent for a second, studying me. His lips curled into a grin. I don't want you anywhere near me. His voice had venom in it. I tasted tears in my mouth. I hadn't even realized I had been crying. Tim shoved past me to the living room, turning on the TV and sitting on the couch. I'm sleeping here tonight. I'll move out by Monday. I could barely hear him through all the static. I started to sob right there in the hallway. Hot, stinging tears. Tim didn't even look my way. He just continued to watch TV, his face cast in a dark shadow. I finally pulled myself together enough to walk into the bedroom and collapse on the bed, hugging my knees to my chest. It wasn't supposed to be like this. None of this was supposed to have happened. We were supposed to be happy here. The door to the bedroom shut quietly and I was left alone in the darkness. Funny, I hadn't even heard Tim get off the couch. I buried my head into the pillow, letting the tears lull me to sleep. I'm sorry, my love. Tim's voice was static, dead, and jolted me awake. I kept my eyes closed as I felt the bed shift under his weight. His breath felt cold and icy on my neck. It will be over soon, His voice sounded almost mechanical. It was as if someone had recorded it and was playing it over. I squeezed my eyes shut tighter as I felt him shift closer towards me. His sweater brushed against my shoulder. For a second, I could have sworn it felt just like the old sweater he blamed me for losing. His fingers laced around my neck, abruptly burning bright and hot. I flailed as I gasped for air, reaching wildly towards him to shake his grip, but my fingers met silent, still air. I opened my eyes to nothing. Tim wasn't lying next to me, he wasn't even in the room. The room was completely empty and dark. The moonlight from outside barely stretched its way across the floor, just gently hitting the opposite wall. The only other light I could see was from the TV peeking under the doorway. I sat up slowly, my fingers reaching towards my throat. I expected to find a burn mark, a bruise or anything really. Anything other than a thin, metal necklace. I hadn't been wearing a necklace fuck. I hadn't been wearing a necklace. I shakily got to my feet and walked over to the mirror, a thin, delicate golden locket hung from my pale neck. It looked old, almost as if it had been from the 1920s. I struggled to unclasp it from my neck, but my fingers fumbled on the chain, losing grip. I suddenly felt so drained. My eyes turned black in the mirror. I unsteadily made my way to the door, trying to get out, to see Tim, but the doorknob wouldn't budge, I banged on the door, calling for Tim, begging him to come open the door, but he never came. My voice was raw from screaming, my neck throbbed. I fell down onto the floor and wept. When I was done crying, the light from the TV turned off. I heard Tim sigh lightly as he settled onto the couch. Tim? I croaked. Shh, Shh. Tim's voice whispered in my ear. It's time. The words caught mid-sentence, almost like they were stuck in a loop. I felt myself being helped up off the floor. Strong hands guided me back to the bed, gently lifting the covers up over my feverish body. It's almost time now. My eyelids grew so heavy. My body sunk into the bed, a weight pressed down on my chest. I fell asleep clutching the locket, its heartbeat matching my own. The shadow guarded the door. The dark liquid has filled most of the bathroom now, pooling along the floor, across the walls, against the porcelain of the tub. It's like a sea of black rising to meet the level of the clawfoot tub. muse, Es muse, Es muse, Es muse. Es muse, es muse. I know that it wants me. It's time now. Yes, yes, my darling. I woke up the next morning to a loud bang from the living room. I felt groggy and my bones ached. I pulled the covers off of myself to find dark liquid staining the sheets, dry and black. I reached for my neck and found the thin metal chain dangling as it had the night before. Don't touch it, the voice demanded. The banging from the living room continued and all at once it came back to me. Tim was leaving. Panic flooded my veins as I ran into the living room, breathless and hurried. Tim was on the floor, taking apart his desk. He threw pieces of wood down on the hardwood, barely glancing at me as he did so. Cardboard boxes were lined against the walls. He had already started to divide up his things. Tim, I murmured, edging closer. He shook his head. It's happening, so you can either help or get out of the way. The shadow stood over him. A hand around his neck. Get out of the way. I threw on a sweater and bounded down the stairs, determined to be anywhere but in my apartment. I was so frantic running down the stairs that I actually collided with another neighbor in the lobby. It wasn't until I had pushed past him with a mumbled apology and out the door that I realized who it was. It was the neighbor who lived below me. The old man. My heart stopped. I turned around and yelled after him, screaming at him to stop. I must have seemed like a crazy person but then again, maybe I was at this point. Be quiet. Be quiet. No, 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 no. Static kissed my ear. The man stopped in his tracks, turning around to face me. I must have looked insane to him. My hair was sticking out at all ends, my clothes were wrinkled, and I realized just at that moment that I wasn't even wearing shoes. But if he was surprised, he hid it well. He smiled sadly and nodded in my direction, beckoning me to follow him. He didn't say a word until we were in his apartment. The door shut firmly behind us. Don't you dare. The man's apartment was just how I had remembered it. The floor plan was the same as mine, but he had put little to no effort in decorating his home. There were no pictures on the wall, no family mementos, and no paint. He had a simple table, chair, and couch that adorned his living room. I could see a small TV set in the corner, pitched into darkness. The old man sat down on the sofa, gesturing that I sit too. I slowly sat down on the chair, still taking in the sparsely decorated room. Albert, you can call me Al. Caitlin, you can call me Kate. So you still haven't moved yet, have you? He began. I started to wring my hands. Um, no, no, not yet. Al sighed, looking out the window. Shoulda listened to me when you had the chance. He paused. You have a boyfriend, don't you? I nodded, picking at the corners of my nails. Not for long. Yeah, Al said. I've seen that fellow around. You two sticking together, right? Not one of you spending time there alone? I bit my lip. He, uh, he works night shifts, so I'm usually there by myself mostly. Anger flashed over his face. Shit. No, shit. That's not good for you. He scratched his head, looking back at me. Do you know how long I've been here? No, but I'm sure you'll tell me. Forty-five years. Moved in when I was in my thirties. I've seen a lot of people come and go around here, but nobody's ever stayed too long in apartment thirteen. Do you know what's happening to me? I felt myself grow foggy again. I struggled to keep focused, digging my nails into my palms. Do you remember a girl named Sarah? Al paused. His eyes began to water when he spoke. His voice was hoarse and raw. Yeah. I was here when they carried her out on the stretcher. Breath caught in my lungs. What? She killed herself in the bathtub. Slit her wrist two months after she moved in. Bled out right there in the tub. The whole tub had been filled with it. But then again, she had been alone all that time, you know? It acts quicker when you're alone. What acts quicker? "'I do, I do, I do,' Al shrugged, wiping the dampness from his eyes. "'Listen, I'm not really sure what it is. I'm not exactly the superstitious kind or religious or nothing like that. All I know is that nobody lasts long in there. People die. Mostly women. I've tried to say things before, but no one will listen.' He started to pick at the couch, pulling at loose threads. "'Sarah was a few years before you moved in.' Nobody had wanted the place for a while after her you see they uh they didn't uh they didn't find it for a while. He looked pained, and uh for Sarah, there were a few others women, like I said. I swallowed, biting my lip to keep the static away. Please. My eyes flashed brightly. You need to tell me everything you know. Al looked down again, pulling a loose thread taut and straight. He cleared his throat and sat upright. He then told me about the others. Well, the others he knew about, at least. Before Sarah, there had been Elizabeth. She had a husband. He hung himself from the ceiling fan on their anniversary, and she was found naked in bed with a bottle of pills. The autopsy estimated that she had been lying there for a few days before she killed herself, her husband hanging in the next room. They found red roses pressed in her palm. His throat was stuffed with them. Before that, it was another single girl. Al couldn't remember her name, but he would never forget the sound of the shotgun going off directly above his head. She had been there three weeks and had put three bullets into her chest. She bled out in the kitchen. Before her was Tasha. Tasha had a boyfriend who lived downtown. She had stabbed herself in her stomach eighteen times an hour after he left her place one morning. When he didn't hear from her for a few hours, he went by to check on her and found her still holding the knife, trying to carve out her intestines. They took her away and Al said he was pretty sure she died in the ambulance, never even making it to the hospital. The police had said she was pregnant. A while before that was a girl named Mary, or Meredith or Margaret, Al wasn't too sure. Mary had a fiancé. He moved out after five months. She drowned herself in the tub that very night, dressed in her wedding gown. Then there was Lily. Lily was the first girl that Al remembered. She had moved in right after he did. They always smiled at one another in passing. He sometimes helped her out with her groceries. He told me of her flaming red hair, her light blue eyes, and her pretty summer dresses. So he was a bit worried when he hadn't seen her in a few weeks. Al went up to her apartment to check that she was okay and found the door unlocked. When he entered, he found her in the bedroom. She was covered in rose petals and candle wax, glued to the floor. The police believed that she had meticulously lit candle after candle dripping the scalding wax onto her naked body. After the wax would dry, she would pour more and more over herself, often lighting her skin on fire piece by piece. Judging from the condition of her skin, she had done that to herself for days. Her skin eventually just fell off. As Al told each horrifying story, I imagined all of those women living in my apartment. Sleeping, eating, laughing, breathing. Breathing. But now they weren't. No, no. I felt dizzy and sick to my stomach. I thanked the old man and rushed out the door, throwing up over the staircase banister. Once I was done, I wiped my mouth on the back of my sleeve. Tim was still in the apartment. Panic erupted in every atom of my body. I rushed up the stairs and flung open the apartment door. I'm not sure what I had been expecting. Some sort of bloodbath? Tim hanging from the ceiling? But no, he was right where he had been this morning. He was still taking apart his desk, absent-mindedly putting the pieces in a box in the middle of the floor. I was so happy that I burst into tears. He glanced up at the sound of me crying. Kate. He had pity in his voice, but I didn't care. He was still alive. For now. His voice echoed back, licking my ear. Hey, Tim murmured. It's, uh, it's time. He was standing in the doorway of the bedroom with a box of clothes clutched tightly in his arms. His eyes were red, his jaw pressed tight. Answer him. I opened my eyes. I had been resting on the bed. I had been feeling so tired the last three days, so drained. After Al had told me what he knew, I had been so determined to tell Tim, so motivated to leave this apartment behind, but but why hadn't I? Because I sat up, shivering and empty. Tim's eyes flicked over to mine. I could see the worry dancing behind them. No, no, he's not worried. He doesn't care about you. Not like I do. I must have been mistaken. It wasn't worry what I saw. It was loathing. Tim loathed me. You're leaving now? My voice came out hoarse, barely above a whisper. I couldn't remember the last time I drank something. Um... Yeah, yeah, the moving van is outside. He shuffled his feet. I knew he wanted to say something, but he must have been struggling as much as I was. I forced myself to get up and walk over to him. I realized how suddenly weak I was. It was hard to stand, and I couldn't help myself from swaying lightly. My heart seemed to catch in my throat. I wish things were different, I whispered. I wish I could go with you. Tim nodded, forcing a smile even though his eyes were watering. Yeah, Kate. I do too. No, he doesn't. Will you be okay here? He asked. Alone, I mean. Should I call someone? You're not alone. You have me. Call someone? Why did I remember calling someone today? I struggled to form a coherent thought, to scrape together a memory I had from this morning. Monday. It was Monday morning. I had called work. Why did I call work? "'Because I told you to quit, darling.' "'Quit? But I love my job.' Dread flooded my stomach. I needed to call back and tell them that I had made a mistake. "'No. No, you didn't. "'Work is no place for a lady like you. "'You belong here with me.' "'Tim shuffled the box in his hands.' He glanced towards the door, itching to leave. I'll be fine here. You, you go home. You need to go home. I smiled back at him. He nodded and gave me a long hug. I'm so sorry we didn't work out. He confessed. I stood still, panic rising in my throat. He was about to leave. This was really happening. I wanted to pull him tighter, tell him how much I loved him, but long, cold fingers began to caress my throat. Shh quiet. So I said nothing. I pulled away from him and hugged arms tight to my chest. Tim nodded and backed away from me. The shadow walked him out, locking the door behind him. You're all mine now. When I woke up, the first thing I noticed was just how cold it was. I could see my breath, but not much else. It was completely dark, and the only light I could see was moonlight filtering in from the window. I was lying on my back on the hardwood floor, my arms down at my sides. Roses lay on my chest. I wasn't sure how much time had passed since Tim left. A day? A week? My entire body ached. I struggled to get up. There was a pressure on my chest that kept trying to push me down. Rest, rest, rest. I fought the fogginess threatening to cloud my brain and stood up. I was almost out of breath from the sheer act of standing. Frightened, I staggered to the kitchen. I needed food. I needed a phone. I needed something. I went to turn on the light in the kitchen, but the power was out, so I rifled around in the dark until I found bread, still wrapped in its package. Without even hesitating, I ripped it open and ate four slices, coughing as it hit my dry, cracked throat, then immediately turned on the tap water and guzzled it down, not even bothering with a glass. I stayed like that for at least 30 minutes, shoving the bread down my throat and then following up with water until the bread was gone and my stomach bulged in discomfort. I tried the fridge next, but only found jelly and a few other condiments that hadn't expired. I must have been knocked out for a while. Three days. With food and water back in my system, my head began to clear. I knew that I had to get out before I ended up like the rest of the girls Al had told me about. To be honest, I wasn't even sure why I was still alive to begin with. Because you're different than the others. I shuddered. Even though I could hear its voice, I couldn't see the shadow anywhere. So if I was going to leave, it had to be now. I rushed off to the bedroom, the last place I knew I had my phone. I knew I couldn't call the police. I mean, it wasn't like a crime had been committed or anything. But I knew that I needed a hospital. But most importantly, I needed to get out because for whatever reason, the fogginess was at its most powerful when I was physically in the apartment. I found my phone on the dresser, hanging to life with 3% battery. My heart rose in my chest. I actually stood a chance. I tapped the screen to life and clicked on the phone icon preparing to call 911. But then something stopped me. A voicemail. I had a voicemail from Tim. I paused. I knew I should ignore it. I knew I should call for an ambulance first, but I found myself clicking the voicemail icon and slowly holding the phone up to my ear. Caitlin. Tim's voice crackled out of the speakers. It sounded oddly mechanical, heavy but hollow. I'm coming back. Stay where you are. Don't leave the apartment. I'm coming back for you. I slowly lowered the phone from my ear, dropping my arms to my side. See? The shadow whispered. I could feel it looming over behind me, lightly caressing my bare shoulder, its lips brushed against the nape of my neck. Don't leave me uh, alone. I'm so tired of being alone. Its fingers intertwined with mine, gently lifting the phone from my grasp. Don't leave me like Victoria did. The shadow begged. She left me so I could feel the shadow's weight on my body pressing me down, pulling me away from the front door. She didn't like it when I hit her. Only once. Only once. Only once. The fogginess was beginning to take hold of me. The shadow was now facing me, cocking its head and smiling. You wouldn't hit back, would you? She didn't play fair. She... she... I felt myself nodding as the shadow placed one arm around my waist, another hand in mine. It began to sway us back and forth, caught in a dark, shadowy waltz. A husband is allowed to d- discipline his wife, darling. Don't you agree? I felt myself nod again, my head then rolling back as we spun faster and faster. You're more beautiful than the other want to keep you forever. The room swayed around me, objects beginning to blur together. It was only once, only once, only once. Dread climbed in my throat as the room grew colder and colder. Frost began to line the window panes. Ice seared my bare feet. Mine, mine, mine. Just then my phone rang. The ordinary, completely mundane sound of my phone ringing snapped my head back. I tore myself out of the shadow's grasp and yanked my phone from its palm. Its face grew darker as I ran out of the bedroom, making a beeline straight for the front door. I pulled hard and fast on the doorknob only to have it come off in my hands. The frost had pierced the metal. Mistake, mistake, mistake! The shadow threatened. It began to slowly walk towards me, growing darker and larger with each step. Panicking, I ran into the bathroom and locked the door, holding my phone tight to my chest. I heard the shadow scream in rage, shaking the door with threats and pleas. I don't want to be alone. It sobbed. I started crying, frantically trying to dial 911 in my shaking, frostbitten hands, but as soon as I finished typing, the screen turned black, dead. My phone was dead. I was dead. I sunk to the floor and wept. The darkness has wrapped itself tight around my throat, it's caressing my cheek, leaving a sticky damp mark like a lipstick stain. The sunlight is fading from the window now, for a second it looks almost peaceful. The golden rays are calming, welcoming, this wouldn't be such a horrible way to die. No, not at all, the darkness coos into my ear. I notice that the light is reflecting off of something on the windowsill, something bronze. I stir, sitting upright in the tub. The darkness clings on. I'm able to reach it with the tips of my fingers, just managing to pull it into my bloody palm. My heart flutters. It's the promise ring Tim gave me years ago. I had placed it on the windowsill last summer, forgetting all about it. My fingers shake as I put it on my right ring finger. It's still warm from the sunlight. A dry sob catches in my throat. He really isn't coming. No, he's not. It's time now. I have to say goodbye. Yes, yes, it's time. Tim, if you can read this, just know that Esmuse, 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 Mine, 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 all mine, all mine, mine. She's mine now. Say, say goodbye.